you don't have to be an expert in our industry to know that lumber has been the hot commodity these last couple years. And on this episode, I sat down with an economist for the wood products industry. And we talked all about the markets and everything that's been going on. And more importantly, he provides a strategy and guarantees the next time you go to market that you will get the bottom bid. Okay, that's a lot. But now that I got your attention, you should go ahead and listen. Because I'm certain you'll get some great information from this episode. As together, we are Building the Future. This is the Building the Future podcast. I am your host, the Lumberjack, Brett Thorne. On this show, we explore topics including construction, building materials, real estate, remodeling, the housing market, industry news, new products and trends, technology, government, everything you need for building the future. Welcome back to the Building the Future podcast. I am your host, Brett Thorne. And as we know, the economy has had a lot of turmoil in the recent months and more so in the recent years. And believe it or not, the economy has a major effect on our industry. And with that, I had the chance to listen in on a seminar from an economist that is the senior economist of wood products for fast markets. And I've invited him to join me here on the show today. I would like to welcome Mr. Dustin Jauber. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Brett. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here today. So, Well, let's start off, Dustin. Let's get you familiarized with the listeners just a little bit. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of what you're doing and maybe how you got into your role. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, so I've, you know, I've worked as a business economist uh, covering the forest product space for almost a decade now. I think I'm on year eight right now. Um, and so I work for a company called Fast Markets. Uh, a lot of you are probably more familiar with uh, Random Lengths, which Fast Markets owns on the price reporting side for kind of wholesale lumber and wood products pricing. Uh, so that's the parent company. Uh, and then also there's a legacy business called Reese, which was more on the sort of economic analysis side uh, in the forest product space. And so I've, I worked at, when I first started out in the industry, I worked with Reese. I worked as, actually as a junior analyst, junior economist focusing on the pulp and paper side of the market. So that's actually where I started out. Um, and uh, you know, now I've transitioned over to the wood product side and I specifically cover, uh, softwood lumber, uh, in North America. Uh, and I've been doing that for about four years now. So, um, yeah, so our kind of day to day, you know, we're looking at lots of economic indicators, obviously the housing market, you know, is obvious, you know, looking at housing starts and completions and permits, you know, uh, looking at, you know, lots of economic data, industrial production, non-residential construction, 
a lot of industry data from you know organizations like the WWPA or StatsCan. So a lot of the the day to day is sort of going through processing, cleaning data. Uh, we do do some forecasting too, but I would say like a lot of our day to day is is sort of going through processing, verifying the data. Uh, you know, we have a team of economists in North America that cover wood products specifically. Uh, four of us. And, and again, I do lumber, but we have an economist that does sort of housing as well as uh, structural panels, another one that does non-structural panels and sort of bioenergy on the side as well. And an, a junior economist who uh, focuses on EWP. So we have, uh, so we've got a pretty big sort of in-house sort of group of, of analysts covering the market. And um, that's sort of the day-to-day. -day. And, and again, you know, sometimes on the side, I'll be presenting at conferences and things like that, like where we where, where we initially met. Um, so yeah, and I just a little bit about me, I'm based in the Boston area. So I live uh, sort of, I guess, on the North Shore part of uh, Boston, uh, but I'm originally a Mainer. So, you know, a lot of uh, sort of uh, uh, love for my home state there, if, if that topic ever will come up. So, but that's, so that's a little bit about me. Great. So you said eight years in the wood product side of this, I got to ask, was that by a choice or, or is that some kind of punishment? <laughs> well, so just for clarity, <laughs> I, I've covered wood products and lumber specifically for four years, but forest products, yeah, I guess about eight years. Um, I kind of fell into it, uh, which again, the, bringing back to my main roots, the, the irony is that when I was young, I mean, you know, the forest products industry, unfortunately, didn't have like the, the best sort of like uh, image, uh, not, not so much. It was more just because of the, the economic sort of challenges for the industry. We have uh, a lot of pulp and paper mills. I mean, there are certainly lumber mills and panel mills in, in the state of Maine, but a, a huge economic driver is pulp and paper. And uh, mills are closing left and right because a lot of them produce graphic papers and newsprint and things that are kind of in products are in secular decline because everyone's got, you know, cell phones and computers now, right? Um, so the irony is, you know, I, when I was young, it, it was, I didn't really have an image of entering the, the, the forest products segment because it was just kind of an industry in decline, at least from my kind of worldview. Um, but, you know, so I, I got my college degree and got my master's in, in sort of finance and economics and uh, little, you know, this was back in sort of 2012 when I, I got my master's and uh, you know, at the time, the job market was still kind of tough, even for, for folks in kind of the, the white collar space. And, um, you know, before I knew it, this firm called Reese was was available and had an opening. And one of my my college professors said, hey, you know, you're, you're from Maine, right? So you have a background and, you know, you know a little bit about forest products and you like applied economics, you should apply. And, um, you know, lo and behold, little, you know, before I knew it, uh, I was hired on board and I was covering initially I was on the pulp team. So covering some market pulp. So it was it was not uh, what I had envisioned. But, uh, you know, it, it, you know, ultimately, I en ended up circling back to the industry and, and I love it now. I love covering the space. I love the, the, the applied economics side of things. Uh, it's also a very global industry, which I think that's one thing that was, you know, in, kind of in my uh you know, in my kind of small little world growing up, it was hard to kind of envision, you know, how big the space was and that there was growth in other areas like like wood products or paper packaging. So, um, yeah, you know, it kind of it's not something that I that I naturally sort of was gravitating towards. But now that I'm in the space and I'm covering it, I love it. So. Yeah, you know, it's funny uh, you, when you're talking about the uh, 
the marketplace. I remember, heck, it's probably been almost 20 years ago now. I was in Chicago and got to go down to the Board of Trade and actually got to go onto the trading floor. I was there with FC Stone. And, you know, of course, the trading floor back in those days, I mean, just the commodities. I mean, you know, gas and pork bellies and and your all your grains, your corn and stuff, just people everywhere, you know, still had the tickets and all this stuff. People just throwing the paper up and everything and just, just hype and just a lot of excitement. And we went up to the lumber market. And I mean, it was just desolate. It was just quiet. <laughs> there was nothing going on. And they always joke. They said, yeah, the lumber market, that's where traders go to die. <laughs> so when you said it's on the decline, that just made me instantly think of that. I'm just like, wow. <laughs> but, but, you know, hey, lumber is, uh, I mean, obviously the last few years, it's, you know, it's it's been happening. Uh, it's quite quite a sort of an exciting market. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, compared to a lot, of, a lot of other commodities, especially within the forest product space, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, from the fallout from the global financial crisis and the, the housing crash, there's been a lot of, you know, sort of demand destruction and capital destruction there. But, um, you know, the last 10 years, it's at least a growing space. You know, housing is growing, uh, you know, sort of with the broader economy. So, I mean, in a lot of ways that that makes it exciting, even beyond just the, the craziness that we've seen over the last two years here. But. Oh, yeah. And I remember I had even talked to him while I was there. And I said, so why? I asked him, I said, why is it? Why is it so quiet here? And they said, you know, and this was well before this pandemic and everything that's going on with these crazy lumber markets. They said, you know what? It's the volatility of the commodity. A lot of people can't handle it, especially your day traders. The people that aren't involved in lumber and don't know a lot about it and aren't specialized in it, they can't handle the volatility of it because there's just too big of swings. You know, with with all your other commodities, I mean, there's just so many people involved. I mean, the trades are small. I mean, there's small incremental changes where lumber, and I mean, obviously the last few years have shown massive changes. And I'm glad you brought that up because let's face it, I mean, lumber has been in the headlines more in the last two years than it's been in the last 20 years. Let's start back at the basics. You know, when people see where lumber is rising, lumber is at an all-time high, what does that mean to the average user or the average consumer of that information? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, when we think about it from uh, from the markets that we cover, right, um, you know, when we look at, like, what random lengths reports, right, so in, in a normal market, you know, sort of quote unquote normal market that, you know, the wholesale prices that, you know, that random lengths reports, you know, the let's use the framing lumber composite price, which is sort of a broad index for, um, for, for the, you know, dimensional lumber, you know, pre pre COVID years, you know, 300 to maybe mid 400s per thousand was sort of the, the normal range. Right. And, you know, I remember back in 2018, we had a, a good run for lumber prices then, and we peaked out, I think it was around $580 per, per thousand board feet. And that was the record high. And that was a big deal, <laughs> right? Um, and then obviously prices corrected, you know, sort of market corrected. We went into, into a, like a little bit of a housing recession for a year or so. And then things kind of picked back up heading into early the early two, 2020. But yeah, this the, the record high that we saw in 2020, you know, kind of, or sorry, I guess it was in early 2021, uh, was around, uh, I think it was around uh, $1,500 per thousand board feet. So it was basically a quadrupling of prices in a matter of 12 months. Uh, and now we've we've pretty much corrected off that, that high. And we had another kind of local high this year too, around $1,300 per thousand on that wholesale price. 
But that's just unprecedented in nature, whether you're looking at it in nominal terms, so so not inflation adjusted, or if you go back inflation adjusted, you know, the last time even when you adjust it for inflation lumber prices, the last high that we saw was in the early 1990s around the spotted owl crisis. So even that was basically shattered by this, this record run. So I mean, it's hard to even put this, this volatility and these record highs in context historically speaking, just because it's so out of whack from where we've been. So, mm -hmm. And for the everyday consumer, when somebody's talking about the lumber market, what does that market value represent? Yeah. I mean, so right now, you know, you look at, um, you know, you look at like, if you look at two by four, you know, studs in home centers or something like that, right? Um, you know, right now, I think, you know, th those prices are down below $5 for an eight foot stud two by four. Um, but, you know, we were as high as, you know, I think we hit like $8 for an eight foot stud, maybe a little higher than that. I'd have to go look back. I don't follow the retail prices as close, but I mean, you know, and then obviously when you start looking at sheathing prices, you know, plywood, you know, whatever, $70, $80, $90 plywood at one point. Uh, for a sheet of plywood, you know, like those are phenomenal prices compared to where we've been in the past. Um, so, you know, I, that's one thing that we've talked about with clients and, and folks on the market is, especially when you start talking about sheathing and things like that, there's just a tremendous amount of sticker shock that, that I think, uh, especially you're kind of over the shoulder kind of, you know, sort of DIYers when they go into uh, a retail yard or they go into a home center, just looking at these prices, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, when we were at the peak, you know, early this year and, and last year, just, just really ex exceptionally high prices. Yeah. And it's funny too, because a lot of times I talk to people, you know, they'll be talking about lumber price and I got to get clarification on what they're talking about. Right. I mean, are you talking about the, the commodity value on the uh, CME? Because that's the front month basically uh, of where the value is at. And obviously there's a correlation between all your different species and all your different dimensions that match up to that carload of random two by four SPF or the other times they'll say, well, I hear futures are going down. I'm like, well, you, you do realize that futures being out there could be two months, could be five months, could be eight months. A lot of times the price of that'll be cheaper because wood is so expensive now that they'll give you a discount if you'll wait to take delivery in six months. So they're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Some people don't, you don't go and grasp it. So you always got to clarify for people what they're talking about when they're saying, well, I hear lumber's doing this. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it is always a point of confusion, right? Because it's, you know, obviously a lot of the, the, the you know, the financial news networks, you know, are, are reporting the, the, the futures price and, and mm -hmm. there, you know, I think there is some information to be, to, to be gleaned from the futures price, but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it depends on the contract month and, and that all obviously doesn't necessarily flow right into the cash market, you know, immediately. Um, you know, there's other factors that drive, you know, uh, sort of the, the futures market outside of sort of underlying demand and supply fundamentals. Right. Um, you know, and it's a relatively illiquid market as well. So that's that's a huge factor on the future side as well. Um, so between that and obviously you know, even if you're just looking at the cash price at the wholesale level, um, you know, it, it takes time for that to flow through and the consumer to see it. So we heard that a lot, like, hey, we're hearing that lumber prices are down, but I'm not seeing it at my local yard or I'm not seeing it uh, at, at my local home center. Like, when am I going to get this, you know, 
50% move down that we're hearing about, you know, on, you know, Bloomberg, or we're hearing about it on the, you know, reported on the news here. Um, you know, it's just, it, you're further downstream in the market as a consumer. Uh, and sometimes also the, the price that's being reported is not, not even necessarily what's happening in the physical market. It could be a futures price too. So there's mm-hmm. created a lot of confusion for sure. I think for consumers in the market, trying to buy the dip <laughs> sort of thing, you know, so yeah, exactly. It's amazing when consumers get involved and they, and they try to figure it all out. And you try, it's like, wow, how much time you got? Yeah, right. <laughs> to, to, right. For me to try to explain how all this, the intricacies of all this works and, and how it, it, it's very complex. And that that's the one thing. So it, it's kind of misleading a lot of times when they when people just talk about lumber in general, or that especially when the media outlets start getting, oh, lumber's doing this. No, that's not how it works. Like you said, I mean, it all has to flow downstream. It's what are they talking about? Are they talking about cash? Are they talking about futures? Are they talking about even, you know, front month future? Are they talking about forward months futures? I mean, yeah, there's so many factors. Yeah, right. You know yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I love the fact that you brought up random links. Because let's be honest, anybody in the building materials, the lumber industry, you know, buyers and sellers, I mean, random links is kind of the holy grail in a sense, as far as where the pulse of the cash market is. So tell us a little bit about that. What does random links represent and what do they do? Yeah. So, uh, and just for clarity, uh, you know, I work as a business economist, so I'm on a different team than the random links folks. You know, we have sort of an analytics business, which is sort of where the, the, the economists and sort of, uh, industry analysts, that side of the business that we work on. But uh, and then the random links team is, you know, as you described, sort of the price reporting side of our business uh, within within wood products. And so basically, you know, random links has a team of, of editors that go out, not only do they report the markets sort of, you know, they, they write on the markets and things like that, but they go out and they pull the market for prices. So they go pull uh, sort of mills, uh, as well as sort of people that sort of folks at the wholesale distributions uh, you know, sort of level of the market. Uh, and they go out and they pull prices for hundreds and hundreds of different, and, you know, really it's probably, I don't know it off the top of my head, but it's probably in the thousands, the number of sort of, uh, sort of, uh, grades and dimensions that they report in their, 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 you know, as a part of their weekly report and they do it biweekly as well. Um, so they basically go out and pull buyers and sellers uh, and report a weekly or biweekly price for for a lot of these these uh, these various commodities in the wood product space. So um, it's a lot of work, takes a lot of sort of going around and, and sleuthing around and, and sort of verifying. Uh, and, you know, a lot of these editors have worked in the space for for decades as well. So they have established relationships with with their contacts in the market. Um so, you know, they, they, they go out and they do that on a weekly basis. And that really, to your point, is, is really the kind of the, the gold standard out in the marketplace uh, for, for understanding uh, what the cash market is for uh, a variety of sort of items out in the marketplace. Yeah. And, you know, I remember I've been in this industry my whole life. I grew up in it and I've heard the term and known the term random links pretty much since day one. But, you know, it was years, it, it was probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago before I really understood what random links represented. And the fact that I, I remember it was kind of a, an aha moment to me. And just like you said, 
they're actually pulling trade information, both from buyers and sellers of actual transactions that are happening in the marketplace on every one of those species every single week. I mean, that's not just a number they make up or they think, well, we feel the cash markets here. No, those are actual trades. Now, it may be multiple trades and they're averaged together to come up with that, that number on that print day, but those are actual trades that are happening. Those are people buying and selling, and that is the dollar value that they are paying for in the true marketplace. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's transacted. It's it's you know it's in the spot market. It's not contracted volume or anything like that. Um, so that's you know it's it's a lot of work, and it takes you know sort of kind of a, a lot of effort to kind of establish those relationships out in the market. And to your point, I mean. And again, I'm not, you know, the, the methodology, I'm not an expert on. It would be, you'd have to have another episode to bring a, a random length <laughs> editor on here to explain all the nitty gritty. But um, yeah, I mean, there's certainly, you know, if you're, if you're polling, you know, X amount of folks on the buy and sell side, um, you know, that you're going to have to weight that to some extent, each of those numbers based on their size, what, you know, if they're a sawmill or in terms of if they're a buyer, understanding the amount of volume that they're producing or they're purchasing, um, but you know, they, they, they go out and they, they pull a lot of people to sort of establish the, the price points on all these, you know, whether it's, you know, dimensional lumber boards, you know, uh, sheathing, non-structural panels, uh, all those veneer prices, uh, all those are kind of fall in their purview and that they cover and they've been doing this for decades. So, yeah. And they do a great job at it. Well, thanks. Well, I, I, I think so too. I think so too. So <laughs> yeah. And again, I'll tell you what, people are still using it. I mean, they've been using random links for as long as I know, and they're still using it. And they still rely on it. And I mean, it's it's critical to have that information. Yeah, it's 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 tough to go out there and you know, you can go and try and pull the market, you know, on a you know day-to-day, week-to-week basis. But I mean, if you have a huge slew of items that you know you're you're buying or selling, that's a lot of work and you know you basically have a team of editors here that are helping do some of that work for you to gauge the market and and certainly there are weeks where you know uh you'll have you know you'll have people say well you know i think the market was a little lower than it was reported a little higher but uh for the most part you know i think you know the the team does a great job going out and reporting the market and you know talking with their sources on the ground going to industry events you know building those relationships so uh, and they're a great group of people too, you know, for folks that, that know that the editors, they're just a, a really good group of, of, of folks working out in the marketplace and they really care about what they do. So, um, you know, I think that's also important people who care about the industry and care about, you know, getting it right. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll get you back into your sweet spot. I'll get you off the random link since that's not your forte. So, and you brought up a few of the things from the economic side of it, but you know, Talking about our industry, you know, what are some of the things, other industry-related factors of the economy that goes into what you do and the wood product side of it? Well, you know, one thing I will say, uh, Brett, that I think, you know, we we talk a lot about housing starts, right? When we talk mm-hmm. about, you know, uh, when we talk about wood products and lumber, and, and rightfully so, right? I mean, when you look at total residential construction, new and, and sort of renovation and whatnot, you know, at least for lumber and it's, it's similar for OSB, you know, that accounts for about 75% of demand, uh, for, for wood products. Right. So, uh, in the U S so, uh, you know, so residential construction, it's a huge part of the, the demand base. Right. Um, 
but you know, it's not everything, right? So I mean, and and when you break down, for example, within residential construction, again, we we really tend to focus on housing starts and completions and permit data. And no doubt that's a huge source of demand for the market. But I think the area that really kind of gets left off is repair and remodeling and renovation. Uh, you know, and actually for lumber, a lot of people don't know this. For softwood lumber in the US, repair and remodeling is a larger consumer of lumber than new residential construction. And a, a lot of you want to just say that again, Dustin, because because I think there's a lot of people who be shocked by that. <laughs> Repair and remodeling, so renovation, you know, the renovation space accounts for more lumber consumption than new construction. When I say new construction, I'm talking about housing starts, single family, and multifamily, and if you want to throw in mobile homes in there, those three categories. So, I mean, that's a space that has really been booming lately, and and admittedly. Repair and remodeling is one of those areas that is kind of tough to track. There's not a lot of great data that's really definitive, like housing starts. You know, everyone follows the housing starts numbers. Um, but, um, you know, if you look at, you know, the the census, for example, reports retail sales uh, of building materials. So it's building material and garden supply stores. And so it's just a nominal dollar spend. So it's not a volume, you know, it's, so it's affected by inflation. That's the downside of it. Uh, but if you look at that number, there's been just a distinct level shift in expenditures on the home. And when you start kind of doing the math, it's not all just new construction that's accounting for that. It's both professional driven remodeling, you know, driven by contractor, contractor driven remodeling, but also particularly in 2020, a lot of DIY over the shoulder, you know, sort of driven demand. And so that repair and remodeling piece, especially at the outset of COVID, had a huge impact on the demand side for lumber and is, in our view, on top of the new construction, new residential construction is a huge factor that kind of drove demand to, to soar in the second half of 2020 and early 2021. Um, so I would say like that's 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 a category that you know drives you know lumber demand, especially for dimensional lumber and studs and things like that. Obviously, high question. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. On that, you know, talking about how much that the remodel industry uses the consumption of lumber being a larger number than new construction, is it always that way, or is it just recently because of the pandemic and because of a lack of available homes? It's, so that's a great question. So I, to kind of answer this, we've got to wind it back uh, sort of a, a decade and a half here. So if you looked prior to, say, 2005, so if you, if you go back to like the 1980s and 1990s, if you looked at, this is based on our own sort of estimates at fast markets or sort of our proprietary estimates of, of lumber demand. If you look at, let's look at the 1990s. If you compared repair and remodeling in terms of total volume consumed of lumber versus new construction, so again, single family plus multifamily plus mobile homes, they were about even. So they were about even. So you know, back then it probably would have been. I'm, I'm, I'd have to go double check this, but it was probably about like 35 percent each, give or take. Okay, so so pretty balanced. When we headed into the early 2000s, we had the housing boom and bust, right? So heading up to the boom the peak of residential construction, new residential construction, uh, you had new construction definitely took share of repair and remodeling because we were building, you know, at one point we were building basically 2 million homes 
uh, both single family and multifamily. So that share became outsized towards new construction. And then we had the housing bust from 2005 to say 2010, 2011, when housing starts basically collapsed and we had, uh, you know, sort of the, the housing crisis, um, you know, that's when repair and remodeling share kind of came back. And the way I describe it is the, the both repair and remodeling demand and house, new housing construction fell, new housing construction fell just a lot faster than repair and remodeling did. And since that, we've been underbuilding homes you know, for the better part of a decade, right? I mean, we, you know, we're just now at, you know, one, six, one, seven, you know, for total starts. Uh, but we're, we still haven't hit the peak of starts that we were back in say 2004, 2005. I don't think we'll probably ever get there, at least not in the next three to five years. Uh, but, you know, repair and remodeling has kind of kept its share. Part of that is just because not all repair and remodeling is discretionary, right? If you've got, you know, hurricane damage or natural disaster repair, a lot of that is covered by insurance, basic maintenance on a home. So, you know, some of that, you know, less discretionary repair and remodeling kind of kept demand, you know, from falling as much as we saw on the new construction side. And like I said, so, you know, when we look at today, you brought up COVID, uh, you know, at the peak, you know, uh, when we look at sort of this renovation driven boom in 2020, we think repair and remodeling for lumber accounted, and this is not for OSB, this is specifically for softwood lumber, okay. accounted for about 45% of demand. So that, that repair and remodeling piece uh, and new construction. So single family, multifamily, mobile homes accounted for maybe like 30 to 33%. Um, that repair and remodeling piece has come off because again, uh, some of it is just inflation, consumer budgets are tied up now. Uh, inflation within building materials, right? Within lumber, people are looking at replacing a deck now and saying, whoa, like the price has gone up a lot. Maybe I'm going to punt on this, right? Or maybe they did, they pulled that project forward in 2020. Uh, so it is starting to rebalance again, a little bit back towards the new construction side of the market. Um, but that's, yeah, that's a, that's a big piece of the, the, the story that I think sometimes gets missed in this whole discussion. Oh, sure. And like you said, that's a tougher number to track um, because you don't have the permits. You, you can't go out there and say, well, there's a brand new home there that wasn't there, you know, six months ago or 12 months ago. You don't know if that project had something added, a basement finished, a deck put on. It's a lot harder to define that and determine that. But I can easily see how, you know, what, especially that consumer, either A, they can't find a new home or maybe with these interest rates and with the, the cost of housing rise and everything, they can't afford a new home. They say, well, you know what? We're just going to remodel the one we've got, or we're going to do an addition, or we're going to finish out that basement. And I think, you know, it's funny you mentioned 2020, a lot of projects got pulled forward. I laugh and joke, but there's a lot of honeydew projects that got done in 2020, like decks and basements and things like that, that I believe did get pulled forward. Yeah. I mean, you know, and it's, the thing is, there's been some demand created for sure, right? Because you look at home equity levels. I mean, that drives renovation. You, you know, the amount of uh, cash out refinances that we've seen over the last you know year or two here. You know, home equity, you know, HELOCs, home equity lines, lines of credit that have been taken out. I mean, that's certainly demand that's being created to some degree. Uh, but there's only so many you know, yeah, decks and fences and, you know, these types of projects you can put up, right? So we do think it's kind of a balance. There's some new demand, but there's some that certainly got pulled forward to some degree. And I was one of those people, like, I, you know, we were, we were working on our home, we were doing paint, we were doing 
landscaping, you know, uh, you know, we, we were, you know, so I think a lot of homeowners, especially if they were maybe a little bit more concerned about having a contractor in the home with the pandemic and whatnot, I think a lot of people pivoted to these smaller, medium-sized projects and, you know, the, the treated lumber, the, you know, short length dimension, you know, appearance grade material, you know, sort of cedar, things like that, uh, fencing, all that was really, really hot in 2020 and early 2021. But, you know, that's cooled off now, now that again, like I said, dimensional pr- lumber prices quadrupled in, in 12, in, in 12 months, you're going to have some demand impact there. And the other thing to remember too, is now that people are, you know, things are normalizing. It seems like the impact of this pandemic is behind us. People are traveling again. They're, they're mm-hmm. outside the home more and that's less time and money that, that is going into their home. So if they're going vacation more, you know, they're, they're spending less time at home and some of their marginal dollars going back to the travel and service economy. And to some extent that's coming at the expense of, of, uh, you know, the renovation, the sort of the, the wood product side of the market. So. So I want to get a little prediction from you here. And I love that we're talking about, you know, the remodel industry versus the new construction and everything we read. We know they say that we're underbuilt and I, and I don't disagree with that one bit. Um, we know and we've been ramping up ever since, you know, and, and that goes all the way back to the the housing boom, the housing bust. You know, we were overbuilt and then all of a sudden the pendulum slung a long way. We got rid of all that inventory and then we were underbuilt. and We've been slowly kind of digging ourselves out of that whole good, healthy growth and the pandemic hit and kind of really accelerated a lot of that. But we do still know that, you know, as an industry, or I'm sorry, as a country, we're still a little bit underbuilt. But, you know, one thing I don't hear anybody talk about and how this all ties together, I'm going to try to bring it all right here and package it up for you, Dustin, is the baby boomers. Mm. There's a lot of baby boomers and they all own homes. Some of them own multiple homes. And in the coming years, a lot of those homes are going to be coming available. Mm. How does that affect the market when it comes to new home construction? And a lot of people, when they buy an existing home, they want to do changes to it. They want to do additions. They want to, you know, to um, go in and renovate it. So what do you forecast there? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question, Brett. And I think it's, it's something we, we talk about a lot, but it's it's one of those points of analysis that is really tough to kind of wrap the head around. And you're right. I mean, there's a lot of focus on the millennials, right? We've got this demographic bulge that we're moving through. That's you know a lot of people who are stepping in and want to be first time home buyers. And you know we've we've still got we're having a bit of a correction here, but we've still got very low inventory out in the market. But the question is, is you know what's going to happen when when baby boomers you know hit, hit their twilight years and they sell some of these homes or they they pass on and they've you know they've got a larger home and that space comes to market um you know for sure i mean in some ways it could unlock some supply from an inventory perspective right so maybe it puts less pressure on the new construction market i think the big question though is where are those homes located right so like you think about the migration trends that we're seeing across the US right now. People moving to the Sun Belt from the coastal cities, expensive coastal cities, or from you know the Midwest or the Northeast down, down south or 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 west, you know, sort of mountain states, places like that. How much of those homes that are going to come to market are actually located in those geographies, right? You know, like if you have a home that, you know, you have someone where I'm from in Maine and that in, in rural Maine, and that house comes to market, well, that's not really 
sort of meeting the, the, the demographic demand that we're seeing out in the marketplace. Right. Um, so, you know, that's a big question that we have, and I don't think we have an answer to that. Right. Like it, it, that's a hard thing to measure, but certainly as these homes come to market, they're going to need work to your point. Right. I mean, the, the median home age in the, the U S right now continues to rise. And the, the median home age, I think it's around 41 or 42 years old based on the census data. So you think about, you know, if that's the, the median home age and okay, a lot of these homes maybe haven't had a big remodel done. I mean, think about how styles change in kitchens and open for, you know, open format, you know, sort of open, open kitchen, open, open uh, sort of dining room, living room formats. You know, you look and at 40 a years ago, we still had shag carpet. Right, right. <laughs> you know, you look at you look at you look at, you know, the main floor in a lot of homes built in the 19, you know, late 1940s, 1950s. It's very compartmentalized. Homes are built well. You know, they're really, really solid. But a lot of people want that open format. Right. So like, OK, you talk about blowing out walls and putting some LVLs in there. And, um, you know, so, I mean, it's 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 a part of the market that is, again, it's hard to it's hard to quantify because there's so much unknown about, okay, how much of these homes are in the right sort of in the right geographic location where the demographics are going. Uh, and then to what degree do they need to be remodeled? And I think a lot of them do, do need a lot of work. Right. And, and, but it's, it's, um, it's certainly like for us, you know, we think that, you know, repair and remodeling activity, you know, there's going to be a baseline of two to three percent volume growth in activity just in that space alone over the next decade. And again, part of that is just um, part of that is just the the aging sort of housing stock uh, in this country and how much work that needs to be done. Um, and also, again, there's just we, we have a shortage of shelter. I mean, that's dynamics are switching right now. Obviously, there's a lot in flux with higher interest rates and more inventories coming to market, but. Um, you know, we think that's going to be an underlying sort of driver of demand going forward on top of the new construction side. So, but I know that's a roundabout answer and that's probably not what you're looking for, <laughs> but it's a big question and it's, but it's, it it's really big, is. It's a big question out in the marketplace. So, yeah, I kind of set you up. There's a lot to unpack. There are a lot of unknowns. I mean, and you know, that's one of those things time will tell. So, I don't want to keep you under pressure too much. And I won't ask you specifically what's going to happen with the lumber market in the future. We can talk about that off air. So that way I know what to do. But what <laughs> I do want to ask you about, Dustin, you know, for the listeners out there, those that are involved in, in buying lumber, you know, trading lumber and stuff, what are some key indicators that they can kind of keep an eye on or to kind of get a pulse on maybe what the markets are doing? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, and you kind of alluded to this a little bit here. I mean, I think we're we're in for maybe a little bit of a slowdown in the near term, right? We've seen what's what's happening with interest rates. I mean, w one thing that we've learned is that the market for housing seems to be more and more interest rate sensitive by the year. So really following that 30-year fixed mortgage rate that either, you know, Freddie Mac reports or um I think mortgage news or some of these other sort of outlets report uh, because we do think, you know, right now, you know, we're, we're still above, I think we're still above or, or pretty close to 6%, you know, on the 30 year fixed. Um, and that's really kind of knocking out a lot of marginal buyers. Right. And I think you, you, when you look at another indicator, we like to look at um, reported by the mortgage bankers association, purchase applications, purchase applications for, for homes have come down substantially uh, from, you know, the, the peaks that we saw, say, in 2020 and 2021, we're, we're back at or kind of 
maybe even below sort of 2017, 2018 levels for purchase applications, which are not horrible, but it's a long ways from where we've been, um, you know, from where we've been a few, you know, just a few, you know, a few months ago. Um, so I, I think I would be watching that because I do think there's a chance that interest rates are going to sort of correct downwards here. Um, and when that happens, you're going to have more buyers come, come into the market that are maybe, um, maybe just kind of waiting things out. Right. I think a lot of people's expectations of home prices has suddenly, uh, gotten a little bit more bearish. So no one wants to step in and buy a home if they think the, you know, the market's going to go down five, 10%, you know, from a, from a home price appreciation standpoint, that's not our forecast, but I think there's a lot of bearishness out there. So I'd be watching mortgage rates for sure, because I think, you know, if we have more buyers stepping back into the market, home builders are going to feel more comfortable, you know, stepping in and keeping construction activity going. Um, so, you know, th those are kind of a couple high frequency indicators. Um, you know, when I think about, um, you know, obviously the, the obvious ones, new home sales, housing starts, you know, kind of watching those, you know, sort of, I think we'll, we'll probably have a little bit of a lull here the second half of 2022, uh, but things will pick back up, you know, back in 2023. So I'd be just be watching that data. You know, if you see housing starts pick up, you know, that could kind of bring some tension in the lumber market and the wood products market. Um, you know, I mentioned building material sales, the census reports that data. Um, the tricky thing with that is it's still very high, but it's affected, you know, a lot of the, the reason it's high, it's, it's impacted by inflation, even though volumes are starting to kind of flatline. Um, so, you know, those are the kind of the data points I'd be looking at, uh, you know, that are relatively high frequency to understand what's the demand side look like is demand starting to cool here. Um, you know, on the supply side for lumber and wood products, a lot of the data is out there sort of proprietary from like the, the WWPA or, um, you know, stats can. So it's a little bit harder to kind of dig into that if you're kind of more casual sort of observer of, of the, the industry. But certainly on the demand side, those are kind of some of the things I'd be looking at to try to, to gauge, okay, Let's get a little bit of a cool down in housing that's happening. Where is there going to be a bottom when, you know, if interest rates come down, this pulls more buyers back into the market. Um, and we're going to get some tension here uh, on the demand side as, as uh, you know, we're, things are, have really loosened up uh, in the lumber market the last few months here. So. That's great. A lot of good information there. So Dustin, if listeners out there, you know, want to find out more, want to follow you or get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? Sure. Uh, you know, so you can, you can reach out to me. I'm on Twitter. So if you want to uh, look up two by four caster, two X four caster, uh, that's my Twitter handle. So feel free to send me a message. Um, you know, happy to talk to you about markets or if you have any questions about anything we talked about here today. So. That's great. And before I let you go, do you have any closing thoughts for the listeners? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, you know, the last thing I would say is, you know, again, kind of alluded to this, there's probably going to be a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more of a bearish market here in the near term, you know, looking at the, the demand side, you know, thinking about residential construction. But, you know, as we talked about earlier, there's still a lot of good fundamentals out there. I think once we get through some of this, this uh, volatility here, in, in the housing industry, there's a lot of good underlying demand, thinking about demographics, thinking about the repair and remodeling side. Um, you know, so I think there's, we're, we're, we're primed for five to 10 years of positive growth in the building materials industry. 
Um, but we might have a little bit of a hiccup on the road here in the near term. So, yeah, it seems like our industry's always got uh, it. It's always got some ups and it's always got some downs coming. So, yep, never a straight line. So, <laughs> <laughs> keeps it interesting, doesn't it? Yep. Dustin, I want to thank you again. I appreciate your time and I appreciate you sharing with us today. It's a pleasure to be here, Brett. Thanks for inviting me. This is the Building the Future podcast. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe. Please like and share. You can find out more at our website, www.buildingthefuturepodcast.com. Together we are building the future.